Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 9. The words will be on the screen, or you can grab your own Bible if you'd like to read along. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and on the birds of the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. You must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal. And for each human being too. I'll demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you... Be fruitful and increase in number, and multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all those that have come out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you, Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the son of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered all over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside. But Shem and Chepeth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. They then walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way, so they could, they could not would not see their father naked. Noah awoke from his wine and found what his younger son had his youngest son had done to him. He said, "Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of the slaves. Will be will he be to his brothers?" He also said, Praise to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Jabeth's territory. May Jabeth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Jabeth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. 
Noel lived for a total of 950 years and then he died. When I say fresh start, I wonder what springs to mind for you. For me, it's one of those autumn mornings when the sky is really bright and clear and cold and there's not a breath of wind. You've got dew clinging to everything. When you, you breathe out, it's like a puff, like a cloud. Mornings that are like that are what I think a fresh start feels like. Now, of course, fresh starts don't only happen in autumn, but that's what I think a fresh start kind of tangibly feels like. Today, we're looking at a fresh start for the state, aren't we? This week, we've had a circuit breaker, a lockdown, and then an unexpected lifting of some of the restrictions. We've been up and down, and we've kind of scrambled to find masks or make them. And I think by now, many of us just might be thinking, wouldn't it be good just to forget the last fortnight and go back to being a safe state, a a virus-free state? Wouldn't it be lovely just to wake up tomorrow and for this all to have been a bad dream? There might be a, a whole host of other reasons this morning which make you long for a fresh start. Perhaps you're sick of work or you're frustrated with your living arrangements or maybe someone's just been making life difficult for you. Perhaps you might even want a fresh start from yourself. Why do I keep returning to that thing that I do, you might think, that bad habit or that destructive behaviour? Fresh starts are wonderful things, aren't they? Today, Jemima has read about a monumental fresh start, a new beginning. It's like God is recreating the world, beginning a whole new creation. Now, there are lots of textual links in chapters 8 and 9 of Genesis that Jemima just read to us that point back to the original creation event that happened in chapters 1 and 2. These links help us to see that this chapter is in a sense a repeat of what's already happened before and therefore it's like a a new beginning or a fresh start or you know you could even say that this story in chapter 9 is a recreation story. To help you get on the same page as me, I'd like to show you some of those links now. If you were here with us last week, again we were on the screen, I suggested that chapter 8 verse 1 is the turning point in the story of the flood. It's when God remembers Noah. And this verse, chapter 8 verse 1, is also the start of the recreation account. See, at this point in the story, the floodwaters have covered the whole earth. Every bit of the earth is underwater but God remembers Noah and because he remembers him he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now that wind is the same as the wind or the spirit that was hovering over the waters in chapter 1 verse 2. There we read this, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And just as dry ground is gathered into one place in chapter 1, we see that in verse 9 of chapter 1, so dry ground is revealed as the waters recede from the flood. 
And as God calls forth living creatures in chapter 1, so he calls the animals out of the ark. Just as he created Adam and Eve, so he calls Noah and his family out of the ark. The parallels continue in chapter 9. So in chapter 9, verse 1, we read this. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and, and fill the earth. Wonder, does that sound familiar to you? Well, if it does, maybe you're thinking about chapter 1, verse 28, where God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Well, you might look to you might yourself like to look for some more of these parallels as we work our way through chapter nine of Genesis today. It certainly looks to me like chapters eight and nine are a fresh start, a recreation story that imitates the original. And in a way, this is the new beginning that we as readers have been hoping for. Because up until this point, there's been a fair bit of bad news in Genesis chapter 4 to 7. Do you remember back to chapter 5, that the travelator, that airport horizontal escalator that I described, you know, that, that escalator that everyone's on. Remember the story of chapter 5 and the pattern that was used? Remember the long list of people and how their, their biographies ended? Perhaps I, I can remind you of this pattern by just reading a little bit from chapter 5. Now, there we read about Kenan. Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. In fact, in chapter 5, we see that everyone is on a guaranteed track, on a, on a travelator, if you will, and their destination is known, and that destination is death. Now, of course, this is all part of the fall. It was part of the curse. So in Genesis chapter 3, we read, By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And yet, even back in chapter 3, in the curses that are there, there's a whisper of hope. See, when God speaks to the serpent, he says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. See, here's a hint, right back in chapter 3 of Genesis, of where the Bible's going. We should be asking, I think, each time we see a hero, or a hero-like character that shows up in the Bible text, is this the one who will crush the serpent's head? Now, the original creation story was about Adam and Eve. They are the key human characters. And in this recreation account, Noah's the primary human character, although I should add, he takes a backstage in comparison to God in the story. But the recreation story involves Noah and his family. 
And Noah's already had a bit of a, a kickstart in terms of being a hero, hasn't he? Back in chapter 5, his dad, Lamech, well, well, he names him Noah, which it tells us in the Bible means rest. And he says, this is the name and why he names him. And as he does so, Lamech says this, he says, he will comfort us in the labour and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Here's the question I think we should be asking. Is Noah the one who will crush the serpent's head? Is he the one who will provide the rest and the hope that we long for? Is he the one who will help turn the curses around? Well, in a way, Noah is the new Adam. And by chapter 9, he's in a newly minted, brand new creation. You might ask, what's going to happen? And Noah certainly is held up as a person who walked faithfully with God. Chapter 6, verse 9 tells us that he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And Noah, he follows the instructions that God gives him. Make an ark, says God. And, and Noah makes an ark. Put a door in the side of it, and Noah does, just as he's told. So that when we get to verse 22 of chapter 6, it tells us that Noah does everything just as God commanded him. And it's true also that Noah is commended for his faithfulness and, by the way, for his condemnation of the world in which he lived in the, in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. He was a great man, a faithful man. But here's the question, is Noah the one? Is he the longed-for head crusher, the one who will put an end to the problem of sin? the one who will stamp out the serpent and crush his head. He was a godly man, granted, but in chapters, in chapter 9, in verses 20 to 21, we see that even for Noah, sin is crouching at his door, and at least one time it overtakes him. Just like Adam, which is another link, Noah is a man of the soil. He, he plants a vineyard, and then in verse 21 we read this. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, it's only one verse, and by our standards today, we, we might even think that the transgression is, is pretty minor, really. A bit too much wine and a night naked in bed. What we see here, though, is that Noah is clearly not immune to sin. Now, I'm not sure I understand exactly what the original writer wanted me to know from this confusing passage about Noah's nakedness and the way in which his sons respond to him, but, but clearly there's something sinful happening here. A lot of ink has been spilt trying to provide answers, and, and I'm not going to wade into that this morning because I'm not sure it's really that helpful apart from this. This passage shows us that Noah was not perfect. He was a great man, a man who was faithful, but he wasn't perfect. Just as with Cain and Abel, we see sin in this freshly minted creation spread to affect the family. It infects Noah's son Ham, who also succumbs to some sort of sinfulness. Again, 
the result of this sin? Well, it's a bit like chapter 3, isn't it? The original creation story. There's something here to do with shame and nakedness. There's some connections here between chapter 3 and 9. And just like in chapter 4, brothers are set against each other. But the ultimate outcome is that we're back to where we were in chapter 5. We're back on the travelator heading towards death. Let me read to you the last couple of verses of chapter 9. After the flood... Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. Noah's dad, Lamech, had been hoping that Noah might be the one to bring the long-for rest. And it was all going well for Noah. There was a fresh start. And he was a man who walked faithfully with God. And yet, by the end of chapter 9, we're right back to where we were in chapter 5. Noah lived, and then he died. Well, not quite, because chapter 9 is not all about Noah. Chapter 9 also shows us the mercy and the grace of God, and we see that in the covenant that God establishes with Noah, and that he establishes with every living creature. The covenant comes in the context of blessing. So in verse 1 of chapter 9, God has blessed Noah and his sons. And the covenant then is a promise that God will not undo those blessings ever again. Now I think this is an amazing thing for God to promise, given that in chapter 8 he's already stipulated that he knows the hearts of people. God knows that people are still sinful, even in this newly minted creation. And yet here God promises never again to destroy the world with a flood. And he seals that with a sign that we still witness from time to time today. A rainbow that he puts in the sky. Today, as we live through a a global health pandemic, you may wonder if this is all just semantics. (laughs) No flood, but there's no mention of all the other acts of God that he might choose to inflict upon a sinful world. Coronavirus, earthquakes, Mass famines. God could wipe us out in in so many other ways than just with a flood. But here's my hunch, though. I reckon in a way the flood symbolises these sorts of events also. I I am borrowing from John Walton here, but I think the Noahic covenant, the covenant that God makes with Noah, introduces into the world a certain sense of stability. This is what John Walton says. Sin will be dealt with in a more case-by-case fashion. In other words, from this point in the story onwards, God will be more discriminant in how he administers justice. So, what have we seen so far today in our look through Genesis chapter 9? Well, we've seen so far that we are in the middle of a so-called recreation event. And also in these chapters, a question is being asked. Will Noah bring rest and hope? Will he be the one to crush the serpent's head? Will he live up to his father, Lamech's hope? And we've seen certainly that Noah is a great example. He is a man who walked faithfully with God. But here's the kicker. Chapter 9 shows us that he is also human. He's human. A great example of a human. But he's human. One of the things 
this passage should make us question then is, who are we placing our hope in? Who are we looking to for rest and comfort and protection? This week has been a a challenging one for all of us, hasn't it? We've had virus found in our city. We've had restrictions added. We've had a a lockdown started. We've had a, a lockdown end. You know, the end of 2020, it was so close, wasn't it? And I was looking forward to huge Christmas celebrations and then a joyful New Year's party as we threw off 2020 and we looked forward to 2021. And in a sense, I'd already begun to celebrate and then... Bang, an outbreak, a cluster. And it's given us in little old Adelaide a bit of an insight into what the rest of the world is going through. It's given us first-hand experience, although really it's just been a taster, hasn't it, of how broken this world is. And in a very real way, the events of the last week might have had you looking, looking for someone to put your hope in. For someone to find rest and relief in. You know, I think a lot of us are craving rest at the moment. Perhaps the last couple of days has given you opportunity to sleep in. And, and I imagine that quite a few of you, even though it's probably now about 10.30 in the morning, will still be in your PJs. Because there are some good things about doing church online, aren't there? But despite all that, despite the sleep-ins, I reckon many of us are tired at the moment. Because this year's been a hard one. And many of us are looking for the sort of comfort that Lamech was looking for. For rest and for hope. I read an article a few days ago about the husband and wife team, Yugar Sahin and Oslem Turehi. They're co-founders of the company BioNTech and Many in the world are currently pinning their hopes on the knowledge and the skill that this couple have and their partnership with with Pfizer because these guys are developing a vaccine for COVID-19. Maybe it's a vaccine that you're trusting in. Maybe it's the resilience and the the caution of South Australians because we're all doing the right thing, aren't we? And really, up until this point, we've done so well Look, I too, I want a successful vaccine and I want an end to COVID. We all do, don't we? But here's the thing. If we learn anything about the world in which we live from Genesis 4 to 9, it's this. We're all sinful. We're all broken. And consequently, if you put your hope and trust in people or in a person, ultimately, that hope will be shown to be futile. Now that's true of politicians, it's, it's even true of the really good politicians, it's true of public health directors, even great ones, it's true of mothers and fathers and wives, it's certainly true of husbands, even the good husbands. None of us are anything but human, and that means we have human hearts that are susceptible to sin. Noah was a man who walked with God. He's described as being blameless in comparison to those around him. He's even commended in the New Testament as a man of faith. And yet, he's not the solution to the problem that his own dad was longing for. So, who do we turn to for hope 
and for comfort? Who's going to give us rest? Who will ultimately crush the serpent's head? You know, that I think is the question that Genesis wants its readers to ask. But here's the thing. It's not a question that Genesis can answer. It is, however, a question that's answered in the New Testament. Come with me to the New Testament, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember, Lamech was looking for comfort and rest. Well, let me read to you from verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I think these are great words for us this week. This is what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now this is a jam-packed statement about what our God is like. But it's clear that Paul is looking to God the Father and Jesus the Son because he knows that this is where true comfort is found. He calls God the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He is the one who comforts us in our troubles. Now, I think this is an amazing thing for us to pause and consider. Because Genesis tells us essentially, don't put your trust in Noah. Sure, he walked faithfully, but in the end, he's just like all the others. He lived a long life, but then he died. And I think we could go as far to say that Genesis says, don't put your hope and trust in people. Why not? Because humanity is sinful and corrupt and broken and every inclination of the human heart is evil. But that's not the way with God. Paul calls him the God of all comfort. And he says that comfort abounds in Christ. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that Paul went through life trusting in God's comfort and rest. And so he escaped all the hardships and trials of life. No, no, far from it. Let let me read on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 8. This is what Paul says. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul knew suffering. He was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, mocked. He'd had his share of suffering. So, when the going gets tough, who does he turn to? Does he turn inward? Does he look to his own knowledge and his own pedigree and his own resilience? I think some of us do that. You know, I used to work in a small engineering consultancy firm and the CEO, he used to say often that he thought all of us who were on the staff team were a little bit arrogant, but he liked us that way because it gave us an edge, so he said. None of us wanted to be wrong. That's why we were arrogant. And so we worked that little bit harder to make sure that we were right. Are you like that? 
when the chips are down, some of us kind of turn inwards. We rely on ourselves. You know, here's a diagnostic for you. It's, it's a funny diagnostic test, but I reckon it's also a useful one. Does this saying ring true for you? How can I fly like an eagle when I'm surrounded by turkeys? You know, you might not trust in Noah. You might not trust in politicians or in your family, but when the going's hard, do you just kind of turn inwards, turn on yourself and trust that you'll get through? Paul's suffering taught him not to do that, and rather to trust in the one who offers real comfort and real rest and real hope. Who's that? God. Here's the proof. God raises the dead. Paul goes on to say this. He says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Such a great thing to be reminded of, isn't it? We've had a, a roller coaster of a week. Virus found, lockdown, release from lockdown. We've been up and down. There's been uncertainty. There's been apprehension. There's been worry. Here's my encouragement. Don't turn inwards. And don't look to others like Nicola or a politician, as good and as wise as they may be. Sure, listen to them, but don't rest in them and don't put your hope in them. Rather, look to Jesus, the one who raises the dead. Turn to God, who delivered Paul from a deadly peril and will deliver us too. Now, all of this, of course, is not meant to leave us thinking less of people or less of people's role in the world. Rather, this is just saying that a human person is not the ultimate answer to the problem in Genesis. Rest is found in God, not in Noah. But, this is important, God does choose to work through people, broken and corrupt as we are. See, you and I, we're not the answer or the solution to the problem of the human heart. You or I, we can't bring ultimate rest and ultimate comfort on our own. We're not the ones who have defeated death. We're not the ones who have trampled the serpent's head. But, if you love Jesus, you will have received comfort. And because of that, we can comfort others. See, we're at a unique point in history where this may be more important for our community than ever before. Come back to 1 Corinthians with me, to verse 3. I want to read to you verse 3, and now verse 4 also. This is what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that... We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See, just like in the days of Lamech, I think our community is looking for comfort and rest and hope. Now, if you've been comforted by the God of all compassion, Paul reminds us there's a purpose for you today. It's so that you too can comfort those in trouble. Now, you might go, how? Well, there are lots of ways that we can comfort others, aren't there? Staying in touch, making a meal, writing a letter, making a phone call, arranging to get a takeaway coffee and going for a walk with someone when we're allowed to do that again, sending a gift, 
Visiting them are allowed to do those things. All of those things are great things to do. And I hope that we can do some of those things this week. Let me ask you, have you also asked your children if you've got them? How are you feeling at the moment? Have you spent some time talking this through with your spouse? It's been a tough week. But in all of these very practical things, don't lose track of what really brings comfort. Paul says that we may comfort those in any trouble, not with food and flowers and good company, but with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So in your conversations, in your coffee catch-ups, don't leave the comfort and the promise and the hope and the rest of the gospel out of your conversations. Keep pointing each other to Jesus. Otherwise, at best, you'll be like Noah, faithful servants and followers of God, but we won't help direct people to the rest and the comfort that's really needed. Genesis 9 tells us that God is the ultimate comforter. And we see how he does that in 2 Corinthians. He provides that in the person of Jesus who raises the dead to life. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you're a God who offers comfort. And Father, we need that comfort today. Many of us do. This has been a hard week for us in Adelaide. We ask that you would reveal yourself as a God of comfort to those who need you this week. Please use us, those in the church at Trinity Church only, to be your mouthpiece for that this week. May we point others to the hope we find in Jesus. Amen.